All right, my friends, welcome back to the Kokora Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Dr. Jordan Weber. He is an educator based out of Wilmington, North Carolina. We had a really great conversation about the difference between gym class and actual physical education. I'm just going to jump right into it. Here we go. started on this podcast we are a week out from the rethinking movement workshop in san diego california i can't even begin to tell you how excited i am to finally share this knowledge that i've worked so hard to attain over the years and this is all stuff that i wish that i had coming right out of school so that i could just start helping people immediately so it's going to be very beneficial between uh, you know between me and andy we have just years and years and years of coaching experience and I just couldn't be more excited. If you go to the link in the bio on my Instagram page or go check out at rethinking.movement on Instagram, then you can find the link there. Uh, go sign up. We have limited spots left. It's going to be a great time. And just like I confirmed on Facebook a few weeks ago, there will be snacks. Looking forward to seeing you guys. Uh, without further ado, Dr. Jordan Weber. All right, Dr. Jordan Weber, thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Absolutely. So I can't talk about anything else until we talk about the two best restaurants in Wilmington, North Carolina. And so the first one is Flaming Amy's, favorite place ever, and then Sticky Fingers. <laughs> Those are your two favorite places. Those are my two favorite, yes. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, what are you, yeah which ones are your favorites? Uh, I would have to say Five Guys and Benny's Big Time Pizza. Dang, Benny's Big Time Pizza. So one of my best friends lived there for a long time, and we never went to those places. We just made sure we hit Flaming Amy's at least every time we went out there. Yeah, man, I'm real particular about food. I'm pretty legitimate about my food. Um, but um, I think I've had Flaming Amy's at least once or twice. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't. They have a cheeseburger burrito. It's amazing. My favorite thing in the world. <laughs> I haven't had that yet. You know, now I'm going to have to go. Yeah, you're going to have to try it out. All right. So the reason why I got you on this podcast is I uh, posted something uh, the other day about how we had to move back towards movement literacy. And you responded to that post. And I thought that this would be a really good conversation to have. So uh, let's just kind of go ahead and dive into that. Um, but first, let's give people a little bit of a background on who you are and uh, what you do. Sure. Uh, so I, um, I'm from Tonawanda, New York, which is uh, north of Buffalo, in between Niagara Falls and Buffalo. Grew up right next to the Niagara River, actually. And um, my family was born and raised there. I have three older brothers, played soccer growing up, went to uh, Erie Community College, played soccer there was able to be the captain there. And then I went to SUNY Brockport for physical education and ended up with a bachelor's in science, moved to Wilmington, North Carolina when I graduated and got my uh, master's degree in health education. And then I got my doctorate uh, this past December in educational uh, leadership. Right so uh, I've been in teaching over 10 years, PE and health. And um, I've been at the university since 2012 teaching there. Okay. That's awesome. So yeah, the, what you started to bring up was like the movement literacy of the children that we have nowadays. And it's a, you know, a lot different than what I had when I was growing up. So, um, the PE teacher that I had growing up, his name was Mr. Wetzel and he was just a savage. He was just one of the most athletic people I've ever seen. And now it seems that we don't even have physical education classes in the local schools so let's talk about that a little bit yeah so I like to say that there are 
Um, let me get, actually get the quote out real quick because I'd rather quote myself than uh, just try to memorize it. So yeah. there are gym teachers and there are physical education teachers. Yeah. There is a difference. A gym teacher rolls the ball out, has limited expectation, and cares more about coaching than teaching. A physical educator is aware, accountable, and empowers his or her students. So that's what I have to say about that. And I feel like we're living in the era of gym teachers. We're living in the era of teachers that um, care less about teaching and more about coaching. And they have that roll out the ball mentality that they've been doing for the past 20 years. They've been allowed to do because of the administrators. And um, there really hasn't been anything done about it. And now we have this obesity epidemic. And now we're moving toward a culture of physical literacy, which is uh, giving the student competence and confidence to go out into the public and do whatever they want to do in a movement base and, and however they want to do it, you know? So I think we've been leading kids astray where we've been having these football, soccer, basketball units. The best players are always playing. They're picking on the weaker players. Uh, the weaker players or the, um, the people that aren't into sports don't really get involved. They don't like PE. They hate PE. They grow up. They don't want to be physically active. They remember what it was like in gym class, how they, it was to be bullied. Um, and then the teachers don't really care because they're not getting paid as much as personal trainers, and which is, which is a reason why people are becoming personal trainers. And right. I'm a physical education teacher, education prep uh, teacher. And I see these uh, people going for exercise science and athletic training. And I'm like, how come y'all aren't going to be PE teachers? Like, we don't want to work with kids. We don't want to be in the schools. We don't want to get paid that much money. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I can see why you're not going into PE. But if you really want to change the culture and the attitudes of the Americans as far as PE goes, and you need to be a PE teacher. I mean, if you look at the best coaches that we've ever seen, um, I mean, who's the winningest coach at UCLA? I'm already forgetting his name. I don't know. Oh, again, I'm going to get beat for this, but um, <laughs> it, it, it'll, it'll pop back up. Yeah. Um, someone's thinking of it right now. Um, but um, basically, the best coaches are the best PE teachers, and the best administrators were PE teachers. So I think there's a, there's a, um, a missing link where a lot of trainers who should have been PE teachers are trainers because they want to get paid more and they don't really want to change lives. They want to work with athletes and they want to work with people who have money and they want to have a luxury life. And I think a lot of people are too timid and they're not humble enough to be PE teachers and really affect um, thousands and thousands of people where they're really only affecting a couple people who have the money to afford their luxurious, you know, mobility program. Right. right. So I think that's why I think teaching is really important. I think some trainers need to consider um, being teachers and, and trainers maybe. Yeah. And I think, so one of the most telling things is uh, one of the first education courses I went to outside of massage school was the dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, which is essentially a rehabilitation protocol based off of developmental kinesiology patterns. And so you are using these patterns that babies use in order to strengthen and stabilize themselves to rehabilitate adults, which means that they are not moving at all. And so um, the way that it was explained to me in this course and what is really kind of terrifying is that, you know, kids are kids and they're running amok and they're doing their thing and they're climbing and jumping and landing and cutting and running and, you know, just being crazy. But then all of a sudden they get into like first grade and they start sitting down more. And then right. that trend continues all the way through college. And then once they get out of college, then they're like, Oh, I'm out of shape. And now I got to go do something. And then they join a, the uh, CrossFit gym or orange theory or whatever it is. And they don't have a hip, so they can't squat because they haven't been squatting that whole time. And so um, it's all like, if you can get to them while they're still children, then that won't be a problem when they're adults. And that's just kind of the way that I have been thinking about it. And, you know, I, uh, had the pleasure of coaching, um, a baseball team where the ages ranged from 11 to 14 and they couldn't even do a lunge, you know, and it just really kind of started to blow my mind that like, there shouldn't be any reason whatsoever that an 11 year old child can't do a lunge with his knee all the way to the ground or can't do a bear crawl because they have no core stability. It's just, yeah. it, 
it's really mind blowing. And then you can start to see why there's people who are in their mid twenties to, to early thirties that have chronic low back pain. Right. And, and, and this is a result of fitness testing and this is a result of sport education uh, without using cooperative education, without using, using like sports skill learning and just getting into the games. And that's a result of, you know, really not teaching students fitness either. That's a new trend in PE right now. A lot of PE teachers are, are looking out for resources like, hey, I'm about to teach a fitness unit. I'm like, about to teach a fitness unit. This is your first fitness unit. You've never taught fitness before. Yeah. And they're not, they're not being prepared in teacher education programs because a lot of PE teacher programs are based solely around sports and it's hard to add new curricula such as fitness and personal training, which our university um, I'm happy to be a part of is doing. And so personal trainers, phys ed teachers that go to our university really get that full encompassing experience of the application, working with people with disabilities, working with students uh, in the high schools, elementary, middle schools, then also working with older clientele and seeing the, the wide uh, range of people. I feel like a lot of people get in exercise science and they think first thing, Oh, I want to work with athletes. I want to work with athletes. I'm like, all right, you want to work with athletes. I've worked with athletes before, you know, and you know, I went up to Dre after one of the seminars and he's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, Oh, you know, I want to work with uh, Buffalo bills. You know, I want to work with mobility with them. And he's like, yeah, you know, you're probably good working with, you know, at the university, you know, people with disabilities, you're going to get a lot more benefit from that. And, you know, I took that and I was like, yeah, you know, he's probably right, you know, but I still want to work for the bills. You know, I still want to have that opportunity. But at the same time, that's a lot of trainers attitudes is who can I help out? Who's going to make me look good instead of who can I make look good, even though they might not be able to afford it. And maybe, and maybe they're not going to, you know, the people I work with, I work with a hundred people with disabilities a week and they're not going on their Instagram and their Facebook page and saying, Oh, you know, Dr. Weber taught me this they literally, some of them can't, you know, or they don't have the opportunity to, um, or they're not able to communicate that. So, you know, I think it's important for our fitness community to not only give back to, you know, what they want to do, which is sports and athletes, but really the people who aren't mobile because of their physical disability and because phys ed teachers have led a lot of students astray. And that's why we call them gym teachers. And as a part of physical education teachers, which I was actually happy you said, you said physical education instead of gym. Right. A lot of people just straight up call it gym class. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you can call it gym class if you want, if you have a gym teacher, but if you have a phys ed teacher, then it's physical education. Right. That's really interesting. Cause then you got to think about how beneficial it is for the older populations as well. You know, so even something as simple as just getting them on the ground more often gives them variance on how they get to the ground and then how they stand up. And that's really important because then it's no longer, the ground is no longer a problem for them because that's a, that's a a big problem. Once they start to get older is they fall and start breaking stuff because they don't have that strength. Right. So that's like, that's kind of where my mindset is at right now. Like how can I help people early on to where they're no longer a problem or they no longer have problems later on? You know what I mean? So that's, uh, so, you know, my, um, my personal idea on fitness for me is, uh, just don't be a liability. And so, um, that means to you or anybody else. And it's just kind of an extreme, um, way to put it. But, um, and I've explained this on the podcast multiple times before, but I was uh, going to an education course in Dallas and I got off the airplane and there was people there that could barely walk. And I started thinking about like all these uh, shootings that were happening there. And then I started looking at them and being like, man, nobody's going to save you and you're not going to save anybody, you know? And I have, um, you know, family members who are older and are falling and getting hurt. And it's just, and then you see these, these videos of these older, like Asian people that are doing like bar muscle ups and all this crazy stuff. And you're just like, well, if you just don't stop being athletic, then you can continue to be athletic. But we have this, this plague of a phrase where people just start saying, Oh, I'm too old for that. And then they just stop doing stuff. You know what I mean? You just have to adjust it to whatever your age and skill level and strength is, but you need to keep moving uh, indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, Humans are, are taught to sit like a dog and obey 
ate like a dog in a way that keeps us sedentary throughout our whole lives. So if that's the case in school and we're sitting in a desk all day, that's the t case it's going to be when we go to work. And we, you know, we talk about how Dre, you know, mentions how people are just, you know, you wake up, knee is, you know, 180 degrees. You go and sit down and eat breakfast. You go in your car, you get to work, you sit, you're sitting basically all day and that's all we basically do. And that's what we teach people to do because we want people to be obedient and that we don't want people to just get up out of their seat out of class and, and make a, and make a ruckus. We, we want to keep people tame. And, um, you know, I, I've personal trained for 10 years and I've had clients that are in their seventies when I met them. And like you said, they couldn't get down and off, off the ground. And that was our first thing. All right, how, do, how are we going to functionally get you off the ground where you're not going to hurt? And it was, you know, basically lay on your stomach, you know, go to hands and knees, go to the downward dog position and walk the feet up. And that was for some people better than lunging up, you know, yeah. or some people it was better to lunge up, you know, and it just depended on the person and their needs and their capabilities. And then eventually you try to fix the prerequisites to squatting and just lunging and stuff like that. But a lot of people, you know, you get to them and like you said, neurologically, they're so dismantled that you have to figure things out from scratch. And at such a late age, you wonder if you're going to make any change at all. <laughs> yeah. But any kind of stimulus is beneficial, right? So, uh, yeah. you know, I learned a lot from uh, Dr. Perry Nicholson. And one of the things that I use all the time is the anti-fragile matrix, which is basically lie down on your stomach and then get back up, lie down left side, get back up, lie down right side, get back up, lie down on your back and get back up. And I make people do reps of that. And you're not going to do that the same way every time. So then that builds strength and variance and then familiarity with the ground and then familiarity with getting up off the ground and then back down to the ground. And it's just such a beneficial exercise for anybody of all ages. So, you know, if they're more athletic and more fit, then you just start to take limbs out of the equation. So then you have them put their right hand on their left knee and not move it and then do the same thing. And it's still equally as beneficial. And it's just, right. there's just, there's, there's, uh, levels to this, you know, so it's, um, God, it's just such a, a interesting concept just to get humans to be humans and just have them move around. Like I was driving home from the grocery store the other day and I saw a kid climbing a tree and I was like, dang, when was the last time I saw a kid climbing a tree? That's one of the most like fundamental human movement patterns ever is just climbing and figuring that's like how you create solutions and, and, you know, use your whole entire body to move. It's just, you know, I, you don't see kids climbing trees anymore because parents are afraid of them falling out, which is a, uh, it's a, it's a like valid fear, but you know, I fell out of plenty of trees and that's how you learn and that's how you grow. Right. Right. I mean, we live in a very fragile society right now. We're in our safest freest state that humans have ever been in and I like to use that analogy because it's like we really don't have a lot to be afraid of anymore and so we really are complacent we really are um, just trying to save ourselves until the end almost almost like don't try this and you get even the best trainers nowadays are telling people what to do and what not to do and it's like you, you know there's really nothing you shouldn't do and there's really nothing you should be doing there really is just you know, how you feel in that present state of mind, you know, there's a lot of exercises I don't think I should be doing that I do because I did it. You know, I, you know, it's just, I, you know, you do things and you can do it repeat, uh, repetitiously and you can do things routinely. And I think that's great. Um, but um, like you said, variance, getting up different ways, getting up from your left. Okay. No. Okay. Now, okay, now get up, you know, like, you know, yeah. tricking them and, and you, you know, randomness is, is, I think is the most essential tool because I think most of everything is random. Right. And so that's how we make ourselves more robust. And that's what I love most about your videos and why I started following you is you just do all this bonker stuff in your garage all the time. You know, the, the, you, uh, posted a, uh, uh, like a hip, uh, mobility flow today where you had your barbell in your front rack, you know, so that's you know, just eliminating your arms for balance is such a huge, you know, disadvantage for what you're used to being able to do. But then that creates variance and strength, which then ultimately leads to mobility and stability. And then, you know, just it's a it's a cascade effect and it's all beneficial. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm testing to see what breaks. I'm testing yeah. to see where my limits are. Because if I don't go there, I won't know. And if I don't go to the extreme, I'll never find a good balance that I want to be in. So if you're always staying in homeostasis, you're not moving. So you have to slowly get to that extreme. And once you hit that extreme, understand that you can't stay there. You got to go back to balance, but you're going to eventually grow after that. And so I think that's like you talk about getting uncomfortable as much as you can, you know, putting yourself yeah. in tough situations, putting a front rack in a, in a 90, 90, just because, you know, why not? Like, why not add load if you have the prerequisites and then get stronger in those positions and do more in those positions, but also that's going to lead to better stability, better jump, uh, you know, better sprinting, you know, better, um, uh, deceleration and acceleration. So, I mean, I still do ton. I do a tons of other work. I, I only post mainly on mobility. I mean, love doing endurance training, love doing cardio, love doing sprints. Um, I'm a PE teacher, so I get yeah. to play sports and do everything in a gym. And then fitness is kind of, you know, like my garage hobby, you know, I get in there and it's like, get in the flow. No one's there, do whatever I want. And then when I'm teaching, it's very, you know, skipping, hopping, galloping, throwing, kicking, striking. I mean, every fundamental movement pattern you do in physical education, I teach. And then when I go to my gym, I just say, you know, the hell with the rules. Let's just, let's just get in the zone and let's just see what happens. And then a lot of times I'm, you know, I'm very sore the next day and I, you know, I can't do that same movement the next day. Cause I got, I got to rest. I got to actually start uh, the recovery process. So I definitely enjoy it. And I you know I love watching your stuff because, you know, I'm not really, I've never been into kettlebells and I know that you do a ton of cool stuff with kettlebells. And um, I just wonder what, what do you think is the best um, tool to put you like in that flow state? Man, it's just all of them. So there's, you know, and I go through, I go through a lot of, uh, um, just periods where I'm experimenting with different things. So like there was uh, like a year ago, I just went where I um, hooked a barbell up to a landmine. and was like, what can I do with this? And then just experimented like every single day, um, you know, cause I, I, uh, I have my uh, squat day, my uh, push day and my pull day. And so I'm, well, what can I do for a deadlift and what can I do for a squat and what can I do for, you know, the shoulders with this thing. And then same thing with like the kettlebells. And so, you know, I came from um, a mixed martial arts background and then moved into like the CrossFit space and was really obsessed with that for a while. But then, you know, the more I educated myself and the more um, I started kind of looking at what I was doing, like CrossFit's not really very varied. You know, there's, it's, it's uh, squatting and hinging and running and pressing and that's it. And, you know, they get some rowing in there and every once in a while you get like rope climbs and stuff like that. But so then I started to, you know, really pay attention to uh, function range conditioning, what all those guys were doing, and then just starting to really kind of explore what my body's capable of doing. So then I just, you know, some days I see, well, what's it, what are different things that I can do with a barbell? And it's just, you know, so I just really obsess of it. And um, then, you know, like you said, being uncomfortable. So then, I got really comfortable with what I was doing and I was, you know, regardless of how new the movement was or if I've never done it, I was still pretty good at it. So that's why I started doing um, a lot of bouldering. Cause like I said, that's a, that's a, a primal human thing is just climbing and, and problem solving. And, you know, I'm still like a white belt at that. And, you know, the, the speaking to like the movement literacy of kids, like, you know, I go at a specific time, um, every day, but then, you know, there was one day where I went an hour later and towards the middle of my climbing session, all these like 11 to 12 to 13 year old kids came in and they were just crushing it. And I was just like, oh, my God, watching them just, you know, climb and figure it out. And they were just so fluid and so strong. And it's just like, if you allow them to do that, then they just do it. So that's, you know, speaking back on the CrossFit gym again, like if there's a kid that comes in and you're like, Hey, climb that rope. They're like, okay. And they just climb the rope. But like an adult, you tell them to climb the rope, like, cool. So how do I do that? Yeah. Okay. So what, what do I do with my feet? And then how do I, 
where do I breathe? And then how do I hold with my hands? And, you know, they just start overthinking everything because their brain doesn't know how to do that movement. And it's just, it's, it was really interesting to just kind of sit there and watch these kids just climb the most difficult routes that it was just insane. Plus they weigh 80 pounds, which is probably beneficial. I'm over 200 yeah, I was, pounds. I was going to say, I was going to say <laughs> gravity is the reason why they're flying around, right? Uh, yeah, they, absolutely. Have, they have a better sense of gravity than um, we do as we get older and compensate and build muscle where we don't need it and tissue where we don't need it. Yeah. They're, very, oh, they're, they're very uh, fruitful. I mean, in that they can just do whatever and it's great. And I think, you know, I was up that way until I was 28 until I broke my leg in a soccer match. And um, that was a, that was my first lesson, you know, where uh, I was just going all out in everything that I did and broke my, my fibula. I was off my leg for two years and then I ended up getting knee surgery. So I was really off my right knee for about four years. So all these new, all these movements I'm doing now, you know, these are, these are very fresh right now. This is a long road of recovery and definitely the, the functional range conditioning and the, the pals and rails and internal external uh, tibial rotation. It's probably the best thing for my knee right now. I do that almost every single day. Yeah. Um, but the, but the bouldering, like you said, lactic acid threshold, your fingers, uh, uncomfortability. Um, I'm sure you face a lot of that, right? With yeah, bouldering. yeah. Oh, absolutely. So there's so much, there's so much going on there, you know, like, you know, uh, like trying to stay calm and, and challenging yourself. And so, you know, focusing on, you know, your movement while you're breathing, because a lot of people like, you know, one of my favorite quotes is if you can't breathe in that position, then you don't own that position. So then, you know, there's a whole lot of um, mobility that's required that I can't really practice in the gym. There's a whole lot of, um, you know, I have a, a, a pretty strong grip just from CrossFit and doing massage for so long. But like, you know, there's a, you know, grabbing something with your whole hand is a lot different than grabbing something with your fingertips, you know, and, and then, climbing around corners and it's just it's so you know varied and it's exactly what your body needs is just a completely different stimulus so then basic the basic answer to your question that you uh, asked before like all implements are great you just have to figure out which how you want to use them to create the effect that you want to have and so you know uh uh he's um, his Instagram handle is strong camps, but, um, his name is DJ Murakami. I follow that guy a lot. And he's just like, you know, there's one video on his Instagram where he's just, you know, walking down this trail and found a satellite dish and lifted it over his head. And you're like, you know, this, that's the, but the training that he did in the gym made it possible to lift this satellite dish over his head. You know, he's just, he just does all this crazy stuff all the time, you know, and then you see him in the gym, like, uh, he was in a, a pistol position with his foot, um, his forward leg on a uh, box, and then he had chains around his ankle, and he was doing liftoffs from the pistol position, which is just crazy. And you just start to, the more you get into, like, the functional range conditioning, you start following all these different people and start realizing how strong they are because then you try and put yourself in that position and you just can't even physically do it, then it's just, it's really uh telling to the strength and mobility that they have created you know like hunter cook's another great example that guy does the craziest stuff ever you know yeah and i, and I like how kin stretch they say they say do anything you know it says yeah. do any it says kin stretch do anything and i like that and i think that's the best thing to say because there's still so many people that are saying don't do this and don't do that it's like why do you care so much about what other people are doing right. like you know, if, if Dre was going and commenting on all the FRC people saying, nope, you shouldn't be doing that. You should, he doesn't care. No, because you're doing so it and it benefits you. Why should, right, exactly. And if it doesn't benefit you, you're going to learn that it didn't benefit you, which is a better learning curve than and having nothing happen at all. So obviously I think, you know, mistakes are important. And I, I really like how you touched on breathing because, um, you know, as I was certified in yoga in 2003, uh, 14 and I've been practicing since 2004 and the reason why I got into yoga was for the breathing it wasn't for the physical practice I you know I looked it up I was into uh, I got into Zen Buddhism and Alan Watts for a long time and really recognized the fact that you know we're not breathing 
a respiration is more of a, a passive process and breathing is more of an active process. So if you're not breathing, then you're probably being passive about it and you're probably not breathing to the full benefit that you could be. And I, I like to tell people, practice your breathing because when you're not thinking about your breathing, it's going to be that much better because you've been practicing those muscles right. in your body. You get familiar with the flow of how you breathe, and that's why you need to take time to focus on your breathing. Yeah. And um, I like that's why I got, I got an, I don't know if you've ever heard of Systema Breathing from Russia, um, S-Y-S-T-E-M-A, S-Y-S-T-E-M-A, a Systema yeah. Breathing, very cool. They do a lot of breathing where um, you do 10 squats holding your breath, 10 squats on your exhale, 10 squats on your inhale, and just like super varied breathing. Um, really cool stuff. And then obviously the Eastern breathing I got into, uh, and then I've, you know, created my own breathing patterns. I, I guess you could say, you know, box breathing and stuff like that stuff that yeah. I, teach. um, but obviously I think breathing is number one, you know, I mean, if you're not in control of your breath, you're not in control of your emotions, you're probably thinking about something horrible. You know, when you think about your breathing, instead of something that someone's saying or something that something's doing, you know, something that's going on in your life, you're really going to come to a state of mind where you're like, I can control this because one, I'm in control of my breathing. So I'm going to regulate my heart rate instead of letting it regulate me. Right. And so breathing is such an interesting thing to me. So, you know, cause I uh, really started learning that in um, those DNS courses that I mentioned earlier as a pathway to core stability because it's all the same muscle groups. And so, um, but the, you know, then it becomes really easy. So when, you know, people are like, well, I'm really stressed out. And I'm like, well, how are you breathing? Are you breathing stressed out? Because if you're breathing stressed out, then you are stressed out. You know, so it's right. like, because if you're taking short panic breaths into your chest and your neck, then you're breathing panicky. You right. know, so, you know, what I tell people, um, you know, who come into my office or my gym that are under chronic stress, I'm like, so cigarette smokers have the perfect breathing practice. Like if you just eliminate the cigarette, Right. Then they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. So, you know, when do you go and smoke a cigarette? When you're stressed out, when you're angry, when you're been out of shape, you go outside in the sun and you take big deep breaths for five to 10 minutes. Right. Like that's, yeah, so that's what you should do. Right. And right. so if you just eliminate the cigarette, then, and that's your breathing practice, then your life will get so much better. Because you're just going out there and you're consciously breathing and you're just, you know, staring at nature and you're not really focused on what's stressing you out. And sometimes if you have to do that multiple times in an hour, then, you know, by all means, go do that. And so, um, you know, I get a lot of questions on my, um, on my Instagram page about, hey, when do you breathe during that movement? And you should be able to breathe throughout the movement unless you're doing like a maximal load. So like if you um, are doing like a max rep deadlift, then you should be holding your breath that whole time to ensure that your spine is safe and you have that inner abdominal pressure keeping that core stable. But if you're doing um, submaximal loads, like with squats or like what you were doing earlier today, you're not holding that barbell in that front rack and doing that whole entire hip mobility flow, holding your breath. You're breathing that whole time. And so right. that means that your core is stable and is separate from your breathing, which is what ultimately like the next step to core stability and, and breath work. Right. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, breathing like the system of breathing really trains you to breathe through the movements, you know, uh, squatting on your exhale, squatting on your inhale uh, squatting, inhale, exhale on the way up and down, you know, something like that. I think changing the variability of your breathing is is important you know i mean obviously swimmers hold their breath very mm -hmm. long and often and they have very very you know good lung capacity and, right. and strength and and their their endurance is just through the roof right. you know their lung capacity is able to take in that much oxygen and push it to their muscles so they're just generally in better shape and right. so that's where you know going back to physical literacy i mean if you like to swim then swim if you like to run then run if you like to bike or, or climb or do whatever you like to do it's just uh, i don't think people are given as many options i think it's you know i think it is a lot of deadlift squats and you go to a crossfit gym and you look at the whiteboard and you're like that's the workout and it's like who wrote that and i mean where's the trainer that wrote 
that? Why am I doing this workout? You know, who's watching me do this workout? And I think that was the one thing I didn't like as a personal trainer and just a fitness, um, you know, educators going into a gym, looking at a whiteboard and then having to do that workout when I could just do that workout at my house. But I understand people need community. And so if you like CrossFit and you do it for the community, then I think that's great. And I think that's very healthy. But do I think that they need to improve their mobility patterns and their prerequisites to some of their movements? Probably. Um, but I think, I think they're getting that note. I think, I think because of the injuries and I think because I don't, I don't know if it's still growing and, and I don't know if it's still going to grow. I don't know where CrossFit's going to go. I think it's, it's up in the air. I, I really think people have to keep selling it just like they're selling TRX and just like they're selling every piece of equipment there is. Everyone wants you to do their program. Everyone wants you to do their routine. So really pick your fancy and, and, and hopefully it doesn't hurt you. But, um, you know, right. it depends on the coach. You know, I mean, you could have a great CrossFit coach who does functional range conditioning and, right. and gets you set up right way and, and prevents that injury or you could have a coach that it just got certified and um, puts you through a max rep deadlift day and you get injured and and you're out for a year and you might not ever come back <laughs> right and so that's a that's a big thing that I've been um, really focusing on for myself as well as other people um, is holding them accountable for the why so like if you're if you're programming a workout like say uh, Nancy which is um, five rounds of 400 meter run with 15 overhead squats. Why are you doing that? Right. How many people can do 75 overhead squats? Not many. Right. Like, why are you even doing an overhead squat? And like, if you can't explain to me why you're doing an overhead squat in a workout, then you shouldn't be doing it. Like yeah. you need to be able to clearly articulate why you're doing that many reps. What's, what's the benefit of that? Like, what are we, what are we trying to accomplish here? You know? And so, um, it's, it's, a uh, like you said, the community is helpful. You know what I mean? But you can, you can create a, a individualized uh, community where everybody has their own workout based off of what they need. And you can clearly articulate why that person is doing this and why that person is doing that and why they're all doing different squats. You know what I mean? Because I think squats are one of the fundamental human movement patterns that we need to be able to do. But I don't think that a lot of people have the prerequisites, like you said, to be able to do them. And, um, you know, like CrossFit, like the, one of the reasons why I had to, uh, separate myself from CrossFit is just because of like the, the kipping pull-up. Like, so there's some people that like a majority of people that do kipping pull-ups can't do strict pull-ups. And so if you can't do a strict pull-up, then you don't have this, the, the strength to decelerate yourself as you're kipping through in order to do your next rep. So then you start to wonder why you have shoulder pain, you know? So it's, you're basically, using momentum to go around your prerequisite strength that you don't have in order to complete that movement that is prescribed in the workout. Right. I mean, I think CrossFit is a lot of invented fitness plus, plus gymnastics and plus Olympic training. And I'm, and I go in there and I'm like, all these people should be the most athletic people doing this. It shouldn't be 40 year old Sally who just left her, her desk job or 50 year old Sam who just got, you know, out of the um, mechanic shop, you know, or yeah. whatever, but something like, you know, for these people to do, and you're like, how are these, I mean, where are the prerequisites? Where's the, you know, five hour mobility seminar before you even start. But right. that's, but that's not the name of the game. Name of game is selling and selling and selling and selling and selling. Right. And that's why you see a lot of uh, chiropractic shops or P PT shops right next door to a CrossFit gym. It's just like, yeah. Hey, let's, Let's make this uh, work for everybody. Right. But, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I know a lot of great people that do CrossFit. Um, but, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you get, you get, no, I'm in FRC, you know, I'm an FRC person. That's my go-to. Like I could do it every single day. I, I do it every day. I probably will never stop doing it for the rest of my life because yeah. I know right now I know it works and I don't think it's going to change because it's just basic physiology and for anatomy and physiology lessons, when I teach cars or controlled articular rotations, I'm basically giving them a functional anatomy lesson. Right. So if you talk about physical literacy, you could add in the controlled articular rotations in a sixth grade class. They would definitely get it. They would understand cars, you know, and they could go through sixth, seventh, and eighth grade 
understand movement systems and functional anatomy. And then there you go. You can introduce bioenergenetics and um, the endocrine system in, in high school. But I think we, we kind of we shuffle those out the door and we, we talk more about drugs and we talk more about um, um, safe sex and, we, and, and PE and health class is more of a um, just, you know, I mean, I took PE and I took health class and, you know, and it was, a, it was, it was one of those things where it was like a fun thing to do. It wasn't like we were really learning anatomy and physiology and what nutrition did for us. It was, it was, it was always about safe sex and, and, and drug awareness and, um, you know, bullies and, and social, social situations, which I thought was really good, but there really wasn't any core human anatomy. This is how people move. This is where, we, you know, how we've been moving, you know, that bioevolution, you know, that kids, even if you believe in God, you know, uh, and you don't believe that, um, you know, we evolved, we, we did evolve as, as people that came out of the forest and, and deserts and, and trees. And, and we were in that environment. So we did, we were going through that, whether or not you believe in God or not, we, we still had to progress and we didn't have sports and fitness like we did 200, 300 years ago. Now, it's this new made up thing that we're all doing because it, it, it does make us bigger and stronger and faster. And that's what helps you get picked in the selection process, which helps you uh, you know, uh, have kids and then move on to the next stage. And so everyone's making all these false claims that like, Oh, you have to do fitness. It's like, no, you just have to be physically active. You know, you don't right. have to do, fitness. you just need to be physically active. However you do that. Right. So that's a, that's a thing that I've been thinking about over the last couple of months too, is I think that fitness and athleticism are two different things. And so, you know, for me, in order for me to be more athletic, I had to get out of the gym and start doing different stuff. And so, you know, that meant me being uncomfortable and learning new things. Um, and so uh, roughly a month ago, I was out in San Diego uh, with my friend who I'm co-teaching with. And, you know, we were writing down the outline for the course and he was like, hey, let's take a break. And so we went to the basketball court and I started shooting the basketball and I'm like, oh, I am so bad at basketball. Like I shot 200 shots and probably made 17 of them. You know what I mean? So then as soon as I got home, I went and bought a basketball and I have basketball courts probably 200 yards away from my house. And so I just walk over there and I hate running. Like I'm a, I have a more of a, a proclivity towards weightlifting cause I'm a bigger guy and it's way more fun to me. And so if I hate running, how do I run? Well, I just run around chasing this ball and try and throw it into a hoop. And then, you know, so you're doing sprints back and forth. You're doing explosive lateral movement. You're becoming more athletic while you're trying to accomplish this goal of just putting that ball in that little hole. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's so people tend to uh, complicate it. You know what I mean? So like, you know, they're one of the ways that it gets even more complicated is if you have children, so like if you have children, then people are like, well, I don't have time to work out. I'm like, you just, if you just spent time making your child tired, then you would be so fit. You know what I mean? Right. You'd be in so much shape. Like chase them around the jungle gym, like play basketball with them, play baseball with them, like go out and do stuff with them, like chase them around, you know? So, um, uh, one of my favorite stories is um, I have um, a lot of friends in San Diego and I was traveling out there for an education course and, but they were traveling to Phoenix uh, for an education course. So I just decided, Hey, let's just meet up at the airport and just hang out at the airport. And then when my flight takes off, you guys can, you know, go to your hotel or whatever. And so we just walked around the airport for, you know, three hours, I think. And, and you see just, you see basically America in the airport right? So you see all these people of all these different shapes and sizes and all this different stuff. And, and, you know, uh, once like towards the end of that three hours, we walked up to my terminal and there was this mom, like literally chasing her son all over the place just to like wear him out and get him tired. I'm like, all these parents that are yelling at their kids for being unruly, why aren't they doing that? You know what I mean? Like they should all be chasing their kid around the airport and that should be totally acceptable because the more energy that that kid expels, then the more focused and calm they are when they're having to sit down. You know what I mean? So that's like where, you know, I even heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that they're starting to 
like uh, cut down on recess time and spend more time in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like that across the board. You know, let's take out recess, let's take out PE, and and now and, you know you're seeing a shift. You're, you're seeing shifts in both ways. You're seeing some some attitudes of um, administration are going one way, and one and some is going a different way. But we're not all on the same path. That's for sure. Right. And, and even with and even with the recess, it's not structured, and usually it's it's kind of whatever. And they use that as a as a um, a teacher break more or less than anything. And then that's when kids usually get bullied the most. And so yeah, but I mean that that kind of needs to happen as well. You know, people need to kind of go through that uncomfortability as well. You need to see who's the bully and who's getting picked on. You need to see that happen. Right. And I think. Um, but I, I also think a lot of teachers just kind of turn around and, and don't really want to structure like, hey, a teacher, you haven't been moving at all all day. How about you play a game with your students for structured recess? No, they don't want to because they'll be out of the click of teachers that gets to watch the students and talk about, you know, whatever it is they don't like, you know, whatever they want to talk about. Right. I think a lot of teachers, you know, in the classroom don't want their students to move so much in that, that they themselves aren't moving. And I, right. I guarantee you, you take a poll of, the American education teachers, the American educators, and I, I, I would say the 70% of them are overweight or, or at least physically inactive. And I think uh, a lot of that is because of the stress they get uh, from administrators to, you know, the math and the science and the, and the reading. But like you said, um, you know, physical education is going to improve uh, academics, you know, moving, I think, especially in the morning and get that energy out. Then let's get started with, uh, with learning, but like waking up and trying to learn, you know, without moving is, is, is tough. And so a lot of these kids, which is like you said, sitting all day, sit their whole lives. And then there you go. There's your next client, you know, uncoordinated guy who just, you know, never found a passion for fitness or exercise. And he's now your client. Now, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. So then, you know, that even goes towards uh, uh, movement practitioners as well. And one of the reasons why, I practice so much variance in my practice is so that I can, um, so I can explain the why, like we were talking about earlier. So like, why are you making me do this? Well, because this is a progression of this and this is where you started out, but this is where you're progressing to now. And so, but I have the next 10 or 15 iterations of this movement planned out in my head because I experimented on myself and, and, how to do those movements and what they should feel like and if they're effective or not. And so, you know, there's, um, uh, one of my friends, uh, Dr. Sebastian Gonzalez was talking about, um, this on his podcast the other day where, you know, if you are, um, progressing people, whether it's in the training space or the rehabilitation space, and you are putting them through a movement that you don't do like deadlifts or squats or whatever, then that's a disservice to that person. And so you should, know what you're doing because you have the movement literacy within yourself to do it. Yeah. You definitely have to be able to do it with your client, understand the actual movement itself. Like you said, do it yourself. Yeah. Progress. yourself, um, And that's why I do a lot of, you know, I like I'll take myself through as many exercises as I can to see what exercises I can do when I have limited capacity. And then I know what exercises I can't do when I have limited capacity. And then right. I can also attempt higher weight with different, you know, different exercises the next time based on, you know, how I progress. Right. And then, so, you know, talking about like the kin stretch class, you know, cause you have to really put in a lot of effort into thinking about the flow of the class and what you want to affect that day. And if you want to go more towards hips or more towards shoulder or more towards thoracic spine or whatever you're really kind of focusing on doing. Um, and sometimes you, you like, well, especially me, you uh, think about a movement and then you're like, oh, that's really good. And then you go into the gym and you start trying it out and you're like, no, that's dumb. That doesn't make sense. Like, what are we even doing? You know what I mean? So you got to, and uh, you know, as far as my strength and conditioning practice, that goes as well, because I'm, like I said, I'm trying to, to add as much variance to my body as possible. So it become as more robust as possible so that your brain has more solutions for more movement patterns. And, you know, because that's when injuries happen is when your brain doesn't have a solution for that particular movement. Um, and so, you know, that's just 
how my brain works. And like I said, there's some movements where I get in the gym and I start doing them like, nah, this doesn't even make any sense. It does. It's not effective. It doesn't even work. Like, so let's uh, dump that one and then figure out how to adjust it in order to, to make it work for me so that I can make it work for other people. And then I have to be able to coach myself through it so I can coach somebody else through it. And so it's just this, this big, you know, learning process that just benefits anybody and everybody. Yeah. I mean, I honestly believe that every movement that you do is the first time you've ever done that movement because right. you can replicate a movement. And so, you know, you know, why attempt the same position or the same variance or the same, you know, speed or same load every single time? Obviously, like you said, I mean, we, we know that repetition routine is really important when you're training somebody. But when you're training yourself and, you, and you're kind of underlining all of that your context within yourself at that specific time, you can adjust the way your body needs to adjust. You don't have to think so uh, repetitively. And I think a lot of people get burned out because they feel like they have to keep this routine, this lifestyle, this, this way of life. They can't break it. They can't go to this randomness. They can't go to this variance. And most of the time they, they shouldn't, you know, and because they probably will get injured and they probably will break. And I think that's why a lot of people say, well, there has to be intent when you have, when you have a client, you're not going to just give them variance because you can't literally feel how they feel. So you have to do the best you can at programming for them. But when it comes to yourself, I think that's that's the unique aspect of training when it comes to yourself and you get in that flow state, which is the best state of mind. You're, you know, that's why I think, you know, the meaning of life is to be in the flow state is to be in just, you know, that, that zone of just, you know, not being aware of time. We talk about that in coaching philosophy and sports and just having fun, like, you know, not feeling like, you know, that's why I like training in my garage. You know, I don't have any eyes on me. Uh, I might have the camera set up, but I don't even think about it. And I just, I just go, you know, and sometimes you go to the gym and, and you can't use that machine. Someone's there and you go to this spot and, and you know, and there's all these different variables, but once you set, you know, your stage or your, your own workout place or whether you own your own gym, you know what to expect. You can like all of a sudden just kind of create whatever you want in that environment. And I think that's the cool thing about watching trainers that like you like kind of work out in the same places and and you you can see the person evolve in their atmosphere. Even if it is people going to the gym and they go to planet fitness every day or whatever it may be, they're going to, you know, they're going to adapt to that gym. And I think that's the cool thing about training. I think that's what keeps people interested. Um, and I think if, if you get into that routine lifestyle, like I got into bodybuilding in 2000, when I broke my leg, I started getting into bodybuilding because bodybuilding is very safe. It's very safe effective it's hypertrophy you feel good about yourself um it's 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 not as hard as mobility it's not as hard as olympic training it's not as hard as performance space sports and it's safe so you know you see a lot of people bodybuild and and i think that's great but i don't think there's enough variance in it for the older population i think they need the balance they need the coordination they need the lateral movements they need to use transverse planes and stuff like that but you know i really think it's important that people just do what they like to do and be happy doing it and not feel like it's a chore because once it becomes a chore, once it becomes a routine, I think that's when people get burnt out. That's when people get disgruntled and then they, then they do something else. And, and that's why a lot of people um, aren't fit or aren't in shape or aren't, you know, really meeting the goals that they want because they're not going to sustain those goals. And I think it's, it's hard to find people that have been sustaining those goals you know, someone like Dewey uh, Nielsen um, Nelson, who does endurance training on his bike, and you just you just like, man, I wish I could just go out on my bike for thirty miles. Like, I don't even know where I couldn't. I get hit by a car around here, you know. And like, you know, and and it, but that's his environment, and he's making the best out of his environment. You know, I live by the beach, and I'm gonna start going surfing, and I can I can use the sand obviously for some barefoot training, and, and I do a lot of barefoot training, and use the environment that you're in. And, you know, if you're bouldering, that's cool. You know, we got a rock climbing wall at our gym. So it's just like, you know, why don't I use that more often? But, you know, it's, it's really picking and choosing and selecting, you know, obviously based on your preference. And then you also have to think, you know, what is the best thing for me? And then, you know, how do I, you know, try to kind of push those together? Right. And then based on uh, how you feel for that day, because I think that stress is a really important part of that. So, you know, which is, uh, one of my other 
uh, gripes about CrossFit is that it's a constant stress response. You know, so, you know, if you're, if you're coming into the gym and you had a bad day at work and you didn't sleep very well and you didn't have time to eat, and then you go into the CrossFit space and you have these expectations of yourself, and then you have this anxiety that everybody else has these expectations of you because you normally perform really well, and then you don't perform good, then it's another stressor on top of that stress. And then, you know, it's just like this, this compounding effect when the reality is, is you should just, you know, based off of how you're feeling, be like, Oh, I don't want to do CrossFit today. I should just go outside for a hike or, you know, I should, you know, go for a walk with uh, my significant other, or I should do this or that, or you just have, I think that, you know, instead of focusing on fitness, like I said, focus on athleticism and just be like, well, that, and that gives you options based off of how you're feeling during the day. Right. So like, if you don't feel like doing mobility for the day, then go surfing. If you don't feel like, you know, doing strength training for the day, then go ride a bike. If you don't feel like, if you don't feel like, if you don't feel like you should have all these options at your disposal, which then make you a better human being. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are just afraid to break their specific routine right now. And I think right. that's often the case, you know, people get stuck in their routines and, and then, you know, with the physical literacy, trying to help people become competent, physical literate individuals and that they're able to differentiate between the things that they can do or, and cannot do based on their environment. Like you said, go walk. Like walking is like, I don't know, walking is probably the most underrated thing you can possibly do. I mean, you could wake up and walk three miles and not even know it and then yeah. go back to your house. And in those three miles, you would have been sitting down looking at Instagram the whole time, you know? Yeah. So a lot of people just choose, you know, they select to sit, they select to not do they select you know all these things based on you know preconceptions you know the people in their lives and um you know i think as the frc community grows i think um i think i think it's a good community in that we're building upon the scientific literature of physical activity and we're not you know getting into the spiritual realm because i think that's what was the missing link with yoga was it was you know okay you know, I got certified as a, as a yoga teacher, but then I've heard of certifications where you're just focusing on the names of the poses in Indian. And I'm like, one, I can't say the names in Indian or, you know, whatever their paths are. And two, I'm not going to try to remember those names as the, the main thing. The, the main reason why I'm getting the certificate is not so I can speak, you know, why am I actually doing this if I have to learn the names and, and now I have to learn the philosophy. Okay. Yoga is just, you know, one thing a lot of people, the FRC community brings up because, you know, we are, we obviously get misconceived as being pe people that do yoga. And so I, you know, I did the same thing with FRC, I think a year and a half ago when I saw people that I'm like, Oh, they're just, they're just copying yoga. That's, yeah. they're just doing yoga, but they want to make it something else and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, you go on, you look and you're like, this isn't anything. And then you start listening to the lectures of Dr. with, with Dr. Andreas Spina and you're just like, Oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. You're like, yeah, he's just, he's just stating the, the, the obvious that like we've all been kind of looking for, but we've been kind of misconceived to think that it's, it's this, um, it's this spirituality. No, we're just, we're, we're basically missing it. Like one joint at a time type of mentality and then learning how to actually fix your joint instead of thinking like, okay, you're in downward dog. You think you're stretching your shoulder, but you're stretching your back. You're stretching your doing 30 different things in downward dog you're not specifically doing anything and i felt like that and when he mentioned that like you're not doing anything in any of the poses you're you're just sitting there in those poses and i was like oh he's so right i remember i would do some movements you know and the teachers wouldn't like it and then when i started creating my own yoga classes i mean it didn't look like a yoga class it just looked like a, a workout class was, let's do this let's do that you know i made stuff up and i kind of made it fun and, I, and it was a power yoga class and you know, I didn't use the, the, the language of yoga, but we definitely did the breathing. Um, and then, you know, when I got into FRC, I was just like, you know, I, I don't think I can teach yoga the way I taught it before. Now everything has almost changed. Like my whole paradigm shift was like absolutely just outstanding. You know, you go from thinking that flexibility is flexibility and then you learn about mobility, difference, the difference between mobility and flexibility. And you're just like, 
how, you know, how come nobody has ever taught me that until now? Like, where, where have I been? And so it's almost like opening up a new book. Um, and I think that's the cool thing about our, the community is that um, we're, we're not saying don't do this or don't do that. We're just saying, you know, th these are the fundamental basic training principles. And we're going to tell you what those are. And you can do them or not do them. But that's our, that's our practice, fundamental mm -hmm basic fitness principles right and so like i said at the at the beginning of our conversation i'm so i'm so excited about you know teaching this next weekend that i just couldn't sleep but then you start to think about like somebody like dr andrea Spina, and you're just like how does that guy sleep like that guy's brain is probably functioning at 100 percent all the time like that guy's he's always like everything that guy says is gold almost you know what i mean like when I was taking the course uh, last April, I was like, should I just write down everything this guy says? Like, what should I just be yeah, recording yeah. this whole thing? Yeah. Like every, every yeah. podcast that that guy is on every single post that he has where he's doing a lecture, you're like, this guy is so brilliant. And he figures yeah. out he, my favorite thing about it is he figures out this way to, deliver this incredibly complex information in a simple way that is incredibly intelligent and it's just it's so like he's like one of the things that he said at the beginning of my course was like i want you to be able to teach this course by the end of the by the end of the weekend and that's essentially what you're able to do like you under you he gives you this fundamental understanding and this this uh, basic yet complex language that you can clearly articulate to your clients and other people. And it's just, God, he said, that's such a phenomenal course. And it's just, you know, I just envision that guy just sitting at his desk all the time, writing down stuff and reading articles and just being crazy. He's, there's one of, he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. Yeah. And, and he's very, he's the, the, I think the reason why a lot of us are gravitated toward him is because he's so humble and serious about his practice. He doesn't, he, t he takes it literally he, and he takes it seriously. And I think that's what I think we all appreciate. I think we tend to go to a yoga guru or a yoga teacher or a seminar. And we look at that individual as like higher than us and, yeah. and kind of lays it out there, you know, call me Dre, you know, don't call me Dr. Spine, like, you know, and he's, and he, you know, he doesn't mean to be, you know, a jerk about it, but at the same time, he's, he's, he's laying it out there that he, you know, he doesn't know everything and this is what there is to know. And I think a lot of people um, who build upon their own reputation take advantage of the people that they're selling to. And I don't think he does that because he does offer a weekend course. It's yeah. not a eight week 2500 $3,500 program that like who's gonna afford that and you know and the people that do afford the yoga certifications and and get into that lifestyle and live that type of environment they don't really change that many people when they're done and a lot of them don't become yoga teachers themselves it's almost like a spiritual journey slash here's four thousand dollars Thanks a lot. You know, where here, you know, it's an affordable price a weekend and you, you come away with it learning almost like why, you know, this is what all personal trainers, all phys ed teachers, all people in the health and fitness field need to have this under their belt to understand human movement. And then they can proceed from where they're at and they're good to go. And I think, yeah. I think that's something that I, we kind of like as a group, we're kind of saying, no, just go see for yourself. Like, you know, look at his lectures online. Like it, it is, it's there for itself. And I try to point people in that direction, but, um, you know, everyone, everyone has their own cup of tea. Yeah. I hear you. All right, man. I think that's a great place to end it. Um, what books are you reading right now? Uh, I just listen to podcasts and lectures. I'm listening to Jordan Peterson's analytical breakdown of the Bible right now, which is really interesting. And yeah. That guy is so fascinating, mm -hmm. man. Yeah. I love that guy right on. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I try to read as often as I can, but I'm really just, uh, I'm on the podcast war wagon right now as well. Um, and you know, I listen to audiobooks. I'm just trying to, we're just, we live in this age of information. I'm just trying to make the best out of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, have you read Sapiens? Yeah. 
Okay. Um, you know, I'm not a reader. I'm a listener. I'm a listener. Yeah. I've always been a listener. I, you know, I had glasses growing up so I could never see the board and I would just have to listen. So everything has been just audible and yeah. kinesthetic. So, you know, obviously I got into Gary Vee for a little bit and I think that's what helped me with my fitness content is just yeah. putting it out there, like not caring, you know, what people think. Like I have a YouTube page called Adapted Physical Activity with like 5,000 videos um, and it's all adapted physical activity and it'll be like a soccer video of like 30 soccer skills you can do in your backyard or hockey skills that you can just do in your, in your front, you know, and you're in your garage and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think that the free fitness education is the most important because it's going to get the right content out there. And I think the quality FRC content needs to be out there. And so I don't mind throwing a lot of stuff out there, Cause I'm getting a lot of, you know, quick feedback. I've gotten like, I mean, I, I haven't even really thought about it, but I've gotten like 4,000 followers on Instagram in the past, like six months, basically just from the advice that I got from Gary V when it comes to content management and just, just not caring what people think and just doing it and, um, you know, and living a happy life and treating the people around you. Uh, in a positive way. And I think, I think he's also good to listen to. Yeah. Um, and I think people get burnt out from him because he does say the same thing, but at the same time, he, he does tell you, he, te he tells you to do. And then, you know, Jordan Peterson tells you how to do it. And then, you know, Joe Rogan has fun with guests and he's fun to listen to. And, um, you know, I listen to your podcast and I'm always looking for an FRC person to talk. I don't care who it is. I'll listen to them. And, I love getting um, the teachers' feedback from their classes. So yeah, I yeah. Also appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right, man. All right, we'll talk again soon. All right, sounds good. See you.